This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. We are here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance and the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio. All right, Sears. Wow, that's taken us way back. And we were just kind of laughing before we got going that there's probably a whole generation out there that has never even walked into a Sears. One time, uh, it was the place to go for so many different things. Let's talk about the latest move because Eddie Lampert is pushing for a more aggressive breakup of Sears Holdings. Hedge fund manager has owned this company uh, for a long time. Let's get an update on the Sears saga. Uh, Catherine Doherty is a corporate finance reporter at Bloomberg News in our Bloomberg 1130 studio, along with Noel Hebert, director of credit research at Bloomberg Intelligence from our BI headquarters in Princeton, New Jersey. Catherine, I feel like Sears, this is a story that keeps on going mm-hmm. um, and giving. Uh, Eddie Lampert bought it. Is it over 10 years ago? How long ago now is it? That's right. Well, today, I mean, this announcement is kind of just continuing what Eddie and his team have been doing, which is looking at which assets they might be able to to sell, get some cash for, and uh, kind of continue this runway. And they're looking for that turnaround when that runway happens. Um, and so, well, wait a minute. Can I just say, like I said, mm-hmm. this has been qu- this has been going on for a long time. We all keep waiting mm-hmm. for that runway to kind of <laughs> come to some kind of fruition. And yeah. end. I mean, so. So explain exactly what he's doing and what that might mean. Yeah. Um, so I think it was last Friday that a letter was sent to the board um, where Eddie is saying that his fund, ESL, um, is putting out a bid for three assets Um some of these assets, one of them, a lot of people have heard of the Kenmore Appliances. Um, now, that bid has not been, there's no price that they've put out for that one. Um, but two of the other assets, one is a home improvement services, the other is appliance part replacement. Um, those two have been valued at about $500 million. Um, And then there's also part of this bid um, that is looking at buying some of the real estate, kind of a buyback um, program. And that all of these together. Um, Eddie is coming forward and saying this is a proposal. It's not mm. a done deal. Um, it's kind of the starting bid. Um, right. And they also are saying within this letter that if others come forward with a different offer, that they would be open to uh, kind of seeing what those might be. Now, Catherine, I'm, I'm- Curious because if Sears gets rid of Kenmore, if it mm-hmm. gets rid of the, its home improvement business and its appliance part replacement biz, mm-hmm. what value is there left? I remember when mm-hmm. I was a kid, I mean, we were talking about it last time, probably 30 years for me when I went into Sears. I remember the appliances, I remember the clothes. If they get rid of the appliances, what is there? It's a good question. Um, it's kind of unclear how it would be structured. It seems as if the company is trying to. Separate. So as you say, um, kind of getting getting rid is, I think, a strong word. I think that there's always going to be um, a connection to Sears. I don't I don't think letting would... fly freely. Let's wait, say. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, want, I want to bring in Noel Hebert because you look at the credit picture, which is not terrific. This is a company with what over four billion dollars worth of debt. Uh, and they are this is a market cap of about three hundred and forty four million. Um, tell us about the credit picture, whether or not these moves, Noel, uh, by Eddie Lampert might change the credit picture and the future outcome of uh, Sears. 
Well, I think it really depends on where these things go, right? So, I mean, you know, kind of to tie up uh, some of the other things. So, you know, he's had this thing since '05, since he levered Kmart into buying the Sears brand, and it's pretty much been downhill since, right? I mean, because he always wanted to run this business for cash flow versus operations, so he started cutting back on advertising and capbacks, which kind of, over the course of the last, call it, 13 years or so, has kind of put us where we are. I mean, if you look at sort of the way he's looking to structure some of these things, they could be, quote-unquote, credit positive from the standpoint of you could delever the balance sheet because he's looking to exchange some of the debt that he holds potentially into equity um, or is actually seems to be open to sort of a subpar tender for some of his papers. So some of these moves can certainly help relieve sort of uh, some of the debt obligation, but it doesn't really fix the business, right? So I, I think uh, the, the good point that was made, which is like, what, what's left? You get rid of Kenmore, you've already sort of spun out Craftsman or at least sold off the IP, uh, and you move out the, the services business. Now, you can still collect royalties if those things are continuing to be sold through whatever's left in terms of the boxes, which is what I anticipate they would try to do there. But there's not going to be a lot left, and you're still going to you still are left with a business that burns a tremendous amount of cash, whether you have debt or not. Was this, uh, because this was supposed to be, I thought, initially way back when, kind of a real estate story, that that, that mm-hmm. was some of the value. Um, you know, Catherine, come on in on that. I mean, is mm-hmm. that what's left there in terms of real estate, in terms of value? Yeah. So, I mean, when you say real estate story, I think the idea was that these uh, these stores, even if they weren't stores that you could go in and, and walk through and buy the products that they would be kind of warehouse facilities, I right. think, was the land was, was the considered idea. valuable. Exactly, and I there's some of this proposal um, we're talking about today does contemplate uh, including the value of some of the stores as part of what they would value moving forward. No, I want to ask you about one big word. Starts with a B. It's been referenced every <laughs> single time we talk about <laughs> Sears. The big word is, of course, bankruptcy. To what extent does what's happening here possibly keep away bankruptcy? And just got about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be balderdash, but that's okay. Uh, so, so listen, I, I that's still in the future. I think this has been a pseudo-bankruptcy just kind of outside of bankruptcy court, right, because we've just been spinning out businesses and creating short-term liquidity events. Ultimately, this is going to be a business that's going to have to be shrunk substantially from a bricks-and-mortar basis, uh, and maybe it survives, maybe it doesn't in that way, but he's trying to get rid of all the assets while he can before that. God, I just remember the Sears Roebuck catalog around mm. Christmas time as a kid. Like, you just couldn't wait for it. That huge thing. <laughs> now it's all online. I know. It's just so different. <laughs> Shares of Sears, though. Sears Holdings up about 5.4%. Catherine Doherty, corporate finance reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you. Noel Hebert, director of credit research at Bloomberg Intelligence from our BI headquarters in Princeton. Both of you, thank you. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets right here on Bloomberg Radio. Everybody, we want to talk a little bit about um, Facebook. We know they've been, right, Ramey, under the spotlight. Just a little bit, Carol, just a little, at least under the spotlight in Congress, as, as well as all of its uh, subscribers around the world. Yeah, exactly. Great story out, though, um, by our Alex Webb, who writes that Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg should take a leaf out of Jeff Bezos of Amazon's paybook, not playbook, paybook. <laughs> Alex is European technology columnist at Bloomberg Gadfly, our fast commentary section. And Alex joins us from our bureau in London, on the phone from London. Hey, Alex, good to have you here. 
here. Um, what are you writing about? What What do you mean, pay book? Well, this morning there was some news in the UK that a, uh, a personal finance guru, a guy called Martin Lewis, um, is suing Facebook because a lot of companies, um, sort of scam artists, it seems, um, use his image to promote their product in ads on Facebook. And he reports this any number of times, and the ads keep on appearing. So what he, what I'm suggesting really is that Facebook just needs more eyeballs. And, you know, those are people who are probably not going to be on the massive salaries that a lot of the other people at Facebook are on. And therefore, on similar kind of pay to what Amazon um, offers, you know, the median pay at Amazon, which is considerably lower than that at Facebook, because, of course, it has warehouses and deliverers and all that sort of low-skilled labor. Alex, talking about adding more people to look at all those ads out there, in October, Facebook said they would hire uh, 1,000 more people, right? But uh, how much could they really do? I- I'm looking at it through the lens also of China because we know there are so many people who are trying to scrub everything over there. They don't have a thousand people, clearly. Is this realistic? How many more do you think they need? Well, I, I mean, look, I think in, in some ways it's kind of a straw man, being completely honest, from, from my point of view, because it, it just points to the very problem with their business. Mm-hmm. Their business is built on automation. And ultimately, automation is not working. It, it's creating any number of problems. And they, you know, there probably isn't a number of people who could fix this problem for them. They, I think they, right. the, the 1,000 they added means they now have 7,000 in that department. Well, you know, there's probably 7,000 ads going up every minute, you know. And so it's, um, it creates a big issue um, for them that they are dependent upon that model. And they, it points to the broader um, concern that they've got to find ways to fix their business. Now, in terms of the salary, as you brought up just now, uh, Amazon, of course, annoyed a bunch of folks last week when they talked about that $28,000 median salary. Uh, In terms of the salary at Facebook, that's much higher. But how much would it be for a human ad vetter here? Well, it's not, it really depends where they hire them. If they do it in sure. places like India, I can imagine it would be considerably less. Um, you know, as Amazon, yes, I think the medium salary is about um, 28000 a year. At Facebook, it's $240,000 a year. Um, it, you know, there are people who do this in the Bay Area for YouTube and others, and they are, you know, probably on less than hundred grand. If you do it in, in, in sort of developing economies, as I said, yeah, considerably less. But you're saying that, I mean, they could probably do it and it wouldn't cost too many, but just by increasing the amount of eyeballs could help tackle this problem with some of these ads and help vet the ads that are are questionable or shouldn't be on Facebook. I think the big issue really is vetting the advertisers themselves. Mm. Um, you know, advertisers don't need to be approved um, at the moment. You know, you or I could go on and put an ad on Facebook from one day to the next. Um, now, that is something that they're trying, they've said they're going to change in political advertising. The political advertisers will have to be vested in advance before they're approved for the, for the platform. I, I would suggest they should do that for all advertisers because hmm. um, you know, that's at least the first step towards making um, this better for a lot of people. All right. To what degree would that additional process have an impact on revenue as well as profits? I mean, just adding that extra time, of course, is going to have a knock-on effect. Yeah, absolutely. Latency would be detrimental to it. It would be bad for Facebook business in terms of the pure hard numbers. But in terms of reputation management, it would be really significant. Um, you know, the uh, the numbers from last year, their revenue per employee actually flattens um, for the first time in, in six years. And I, I think that, that is to do with adding headcount in areas like this because, um, you know, it did reduce um, the, the efficiency of their service. 
Alex Webb joining us, European technology columnist at Bloomberg Gadfly on the phone in London. And, and I guess what's happening, according to his story, uh, Ramey, mm-hmm. is it talks about that uh, British lawmakers are getting to talk to and ask questions of the chief technical officer over at uh, Facebook. That, right. And um, hey, Alex, you're back with us. Come on in on what's happening in the UK this week when it comes to Facebook. So the UK um, Select Committee on Media, Culture and Digital, um, they will um, hear evidence from the Facebook CTO, Mike Schrupfer, um, where they will be able to quiz them on, on Cambridge Analytica. Now, it's going to be a significantly different ball game from how things played out in, um, in Capitol Hill two weeks ago, uh, when um, the... Senators were given five minutes apiece to quiz Mark Zuckerberg, and um, members of the House were given four minutes apiece. Now, in the House of Commons, there are only 12 members in the Select Committee, and they will be given, not quite carte blanche, but far more time to really follow up our pointed questions and hopefully ensure that he's really held accountable. Alex, you know, talking about those questions, a lot of members of U.S. Congress, uh, when they grilled Mark Zuckerberg, actually came under fire because people said they weren't even asking the right questions. They weren't asking smart questions. I know a lot of uh, your own Bloomberg Technology reporters uh, tweeted out, hey, you should have asked our own questions. Uh, How much smarter will British lawmakers be? One hopes smart. You know, these guys <laughs> in the field, but you never know. You know, ultimately, it's not their job to um, focus on Facebook in, in particular. They they have a very broad remit, and you know, some people might not have a background in this stuff. Um, the hmm. the thing is, I think is the key element is going to be the follow up questions, recognizing when they have um, evaded um, or, or not quite answered the same. There was a lot of instances where Mark Zuckerberg was asked about data privacy, and the fact the answer he gave was about content. So, you know, how does Facebook use your data, or how does it keep your data private? And Mark Zuckerberg says, well, you, all the data you all the content you place on Facebook, you do voluntarily. Well, that is not the same as recognizing my um, interest, like character, personality, that is the kind of intangible data they really asked me about. And there weren't a lot of questions on that stuff. And we'd hope that lawmakers in the UK have learned those lessons. Right, exactly. And what's interesting, too, though, when it comes to those big tech companies, what's happening over in the UK and what's happening more broadly in the European Union is really setting the tone for the type of maybe rules that are and regulations that will ultimately come down on some of these big tech companies, especially those that are accessing and collecting and manipulating and connecting data and data points um, big, big time. Alex Webb, thank you so much. European technology columnist at Bloomberg Gadfly on the phone in London. And I have to just say, Remy, I don't know if you saw it, but 60 Minutes had a great piece on Alexander uh, Kogan, who is that professor who was at Cambridge, Mm. um, who had given the data to Cambridge Analytica. And it just talks more about, you know, whether or not how aware we are of our data and who's ultimately getting it. Anyway, I recommend everybody check it out. And also, always check out Stuff by Alex Webb. Check him out on Twitter at ATB Webb. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets right here on Bloomberg Radio. Thank you very much, Mr. Roboto. All right, everybody, coming to a home near you, robots. Let's find out more 
what uh, may be another big bet by Amazon specifically. Mark Gurman is technology reporter at Bloomberg News from our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. Also from San Francisco on the phone, Bill Studebaker. He's president, chief investment officer at Robo Global, home of Robo Global Robotics and Automation Index ETF. It's up about 2.6% this year. Mark, I'm going to toss it up, uh, toss it off to you first of all. What's Amazon up to now? They're up to a lot, but <laughs> what we're talking about today is a home robot. It's basically their thinking of what the next big thing is. They've been doing smart speakers, Alexa voice service, working on augmented reality. You see all this stuff coming out from the competition as well. They're saying, hey, we have something to go beyond that. They're working on, they're working on robots. All right. I'm envisioning 